welcome uh, to uh, our workplace in the kingdom of God. As I say, this is uh, the last set of uh, seminars for this year's uh, West Point. Uh, this sim uh, seminar falls into the Unify stream within the Shore uh, strategy. And I don't know about you, coming to West Point always is, it serves as a timely reminder for me that we're all uh, caught up in this wonderful uh, collective mission, seeing uh, the kingdom break out wherever actually we're called to serve, whether that be in the boardroom, uh, in the operating theatre at home, at the school gate, or, or out into the nation. So this sense of we're all on this, this mission together uh, as we, we gather together is a really good timely reminder of that. Um, I'll quickly introduce myself. My name's Earl Gooden. I serve uh, as an elder at God First in Christchurch. I also uh, serve full-time, uh, I work in the financial services industry, I work for a global uh, investment bank, uh, and I also, I'm married to my wonderful wife who's here actually, Sarah, we've been married for uh, 17 years, we've got three young children, my youngest uh, is about to uh, turn nine, uh, my son is 10 and my eldest daughter uh, is 11, so we had them pretty close together. So when I heard uh, that this seminar was happening, I thought, great, someone's going to tell me how all of that's supposed to work and fit together. Um, so we're going to have some fun uh, this afternoon. We're going to hear some stories uh, from some folks who are in the workplace, uh, some uh, employed, self-employed. We're going to hear things about, uh, about Christian leadership in the workplace and what does that look like. Uh, who do we serve uh, when we're working? Uh, Work-life balance, so, you know, how do we balance everything uh, that we've got going on? And there'll be plenty of time uh, for uh, Q&A as well. Um, so I'm going to welcome up uh, the person who's going to be leading uh, this seminar, uh, Robin uh, Willison. I asked Robin actually to send me through his bio. Um, so I, I, uh, I had a look and I thought, let's see what kind of life experience this guy's drawing from. And he, he gave me an, a kind of an abbreviated version. I've actually seen a longer version of this and I'm going to read this. So uh, Robin uh, is a member uh, of the Coin Church in Woking. Um, he worked as a senior leader in Lloyds Bank and LV. He currently works across a portfolio of activities as a non-executive director, executive coach, and strategic consultant. He's been married to Anna for 35 years, uh, and together they've got four grown-up children and nine grandchildren. I'm reliably informed they managed to make their way on most of the West Point videos uh, as well. Uh, and this is, I, I love this. Uh, during a recent period of uh, garden leave, uh, Robin took the opportunity to write and publish a book. Now, I don't know about you, but on my leave, I feel pretty good about myself if I read a book. This guy wrote a book and got one published. So I, I love it when we honor folks. I'd love it if, why don't we stand to our feet? Let's honor this guy as he comes to share with us. Hi. Thanks very much. A warm welcome to you all. Yes, you should look up Daddies, available on Amazon. I actually, <laughs> I actually did get to, um, I, I can call myself a number one bestseller, but only because I got to the top of the family bestseller list for a weekend. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but it does happen, you know. It's uh, Good. Right, so um, thanks very much, Cheryl. That was great to... Uh, um, uh, to have such warm words uh, to introduce, introduce me. Now we've got, it says this goes on till half past five. We'll see how it goes. I do know we've got a meeting at half past six, so we're hoping to get finished uh, a bit earlier. But it really depends 
very much on how things go and what sort of questions we get because you are going to have an opportunity. Um, we haven't got a boy band coming up to join, join us. There are um, some friends of mine here, uh, Meg, Namdi, Matt and Sarah, who you'll be introduced to as we're not Sarah, Nicola. I got, it's brilliant. I sometimes, and it goes with that, I sometimes get this thing where I get two words in my head and I always pick the wrong one. There's a chap that was at our youth club for years and years uh, called James, who I just called Charles the whole time. It's just, so, it's, so, it's, so it's not just you. So, so yeah, so um, what, what we're going to do, we're going to go through four sections. There's going to be a bit of teaching from me, and then uh, as part of that, we're going to draw on one of these guys for their story, and towards the end, we're going to have a Q&A. Um, uh, session which I'll all be involved in and I'll be asking Earl to get involved as well as no such thing as a free lunch so uh, let's start shall we the sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for him, him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Why have I started a seminar on the workplace with that wonderful passage, that description of Christ from, um, from Colossians 1? It's because that's who we work for. That's our boss. In um, Colossians, later in Colossians, chapter 3, Paul goes on and he says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, if there are any biblical scholars here, you know, people might start to argue that, you know, this is about slaves and um, slaves are part of households and um, although it was work, you know, they, they were just part of that extended family. But, but, but actually, I think we're on safe ground to say there's some really good principles in there um, that we can apply and learn from in the workplace. Um, I think when we think about work, and our faith at work, our minds tend to go towards um, how can we witness for the Lord Jesus. And that's absolutely good, that's absolutely right. We will get on to that, 
but if we dive straight into it, I think we'll miss really what is the foundational truth for us here. And that is that the work you do, not just how you do it, the work you do is kingdom work. You are working for Jesus. You might think you're working for your supervisor, for an organization, uh, for your school, for whatever it is. But actually you're working for Jesus and the work you're doing is kingdom work in itself. I believe that's what the Bible teaches us. Now that's quite a difficult concept perhaps to get your heads around and say, what do you mean? You know, I'm uh, sitting all day at a VDU doing this stuff, perhaps processing some data. How can that possibly be kingdom work? It is kingdom work because you're working for Jesus. Listen to what they say again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So he even pays your salary, the salary that matters, <laughs> your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ Jesus you are serving. I, <laughs> I always used to think to myself through my career at work, and uh, I was um, permanently employed uh, for around 35 years um, through Lloyd's and um, LV. Um, and I always used to think during that time, you know, wouldn't it be good if I was doing something really worthwhile for the kingdom? How can I apply the sort of skills and what I'm lear learning here in the context of the church? And, and I'd say, look, step back from that. You know, it's, you know there, there's, there's some useful thoughts in there. The key thing is that whatever you're doing now, whatever I was doing at that point, that was valuable for the kingdom. That was kingdom work. What you're doing now is kingdom work because you work for Jesus. You might have had a chat to the people on either side of you so far, but I'd just like you to very quickly just turn to the person to your side, in introduce yourself, tell them what you do, and um, uh, from a work point, point of view, and tell them that you work for Jesus. I reckon we're going to have um, a whole swathe of different roles in and out of the workplace in this room. But all of us have the same boss as Christians, and that's Jesus. Uh, now, now, why is this important? Um, I've, I've used the term the kingdom of God quite a few times so far. I actually read some quote, I can't remember where it was now, where it's saying that um, um, for most lay people, um, the concept of the kingdom of God is uh, quite straightforward. But when you look at, um, at the, 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 um, the theologians, um, there are not many subjects um, which create more um, variance in uh, interpretation of what that means. So I think I'll come from a lay position because that's a bit simpler. And when I'm looking at the kingdom of God, I think we're looking at the fulfillment of God's purpose. And God's purpose is very clear from the word. 
And um, uh, in Ephesians 1, it says this, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the time reached their fulfillment. This is it. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. When we pray, your kingdom come, that's what we pray for. Unity is at the heart of the gospel um, message. Um, Paul talks about our messages, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors and our message is be reconciled to God. Unity bringing all things back together in heaven and earth under Christ is the ultimate purpose that God has. And when Paul writes, um, he uses a lot of what I call 100% words. You know, things like everything, anyone, um, all. And if you look um, in that first bit we, um, I read today about Jesus, the description of Jesus, the word all comes up seven times. In Colossians itself, it comes up about 30 times. When Paul is talking about these things, um, he's talking in a very all-inclusive way. Um, the scope, the boundaries of the kingdom of God are far larger, I think, um, than we sometimes think. And if, if, you, um, if you read about what Jesus says, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God being like yeast. Yeah? He talked about it being like the mustard seed that grows to be the largest tree. I think he was just getting to uh, the sense that actually the kingdom of God is getting into a lot more things than perhaps we think it is. I think with, within the church, you know, um, was it Guy who was talking about putting God in a box? I don't know if it was, wasn't it? Okay. Um, one of the boxes I think we put God in um, is the church. Um, and I'll tell you what I mean here. I think when we think about the church, it's very easy to start to think of uh, the church as being where we meet. But of course it's not. The church is who we are. And it's very easy to come up with this church box called the church meeting. And church is much bigger than when we meet together as Christians. It's much bigger than when we do church activities amongst ourselves. Um, the church is who we are. When you're at work, in your workplace, you are as much part of the church as you are when you're sitting in a meeting on a Sunday or midweek meeting or whatever you do. Okay? Uh, there's a description um, uh, in Zechariah in the Old um, test Testament, which was about uh, Jerusalem, but I believe it was prophetic about the church as well. And it described Jerusalem as a city without walls. And God said, I will be your walls and I will be your glory within. And I think this picture of a city without walls, because it had so many people and animals within it, that was the, the description. You sort of combine that um, with this yeast description and the mustard seed actually shows that as a church, wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we do, as members of that church, we are still the church. That is how big 
I believe, God's view of the church is. The kingdom of God is not the church. The church isn't the kingdom of God, but the church is the key strategy that God has, the central strategy to spread the kingdom of God. Paul said in Ephesians 3 um, that it was his, through the church his manifold mysteries would be made known. Okay. I wasn't going to say all that. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a passion because it's all part of this saying that actually we don't have this box which is church life and then this box which is work. We are the church when we're at work, part of the church when we're at work, because we are serving Jesus. You know the term worship, when I say the term worship, what's that mean to you? It probably means singing together, um, band at the front. Is that all wonderful expressions of worship? But the Hebrew word for worship is the same word that is used for service. And uh, Paul talks in Romans 12 about us um, presenting our bodies as living sacrifice, which is, is our acceptable service. Okay. Our work is part of our worship of God. The way we do our work, working for Jesus, is giving glory to God. Just as much as us standing together and singing his praises. And the wonderful day like we were this morning, last night, and in the other uh, meetings here. All part of the same thing. Does that make sense? That makes sense? Okay. And the church, and it means as well that some of the teaching around the church... And this is why, this is one of the reasons why this is part of the Unify stream. Unify, in the strategy here, one of the main things that unites us as a church, as described in 1 Corinthians 12, is that we all have an important part to play. We are all part of the um, body, and the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you, and the eye can't say to the ears, I don't need you. Okay? And what it's saying, what it's talking about, is that we all have an important part to play. And that's not just within the context of sort of church activities. This is, this is about when we're at work as well. Whatever we are doing, that is a vital part to play. Whatever your job is, you know, you might be a chief executive, you might be a cleaner, caretaker in a local school, um, you might be a te teacher, you might, whatever it is, um, you have an important part to play as part of the body of Christ. And it's that body in unity that is one together that is speaking the most loudly to those who don't, don't believe. Jesus prayed that those who would believe in him would be one. So the world would know that the Father has sent me. Um, so this is So your work is part of something... Very big. Okay. I'm going to take a little break now, collect myself, and I'm going to introduce Nicola to you. Please come up. Okay, we'll, we'll do this as, a, as Nicola. <laughs> Tell us something about yourself, first of all. 
Um, hello, um, I have worked as a self-employed actor for just over 10 years um, and through that I run a children's party entertaining company in Surrey um, and since coming off maternity leave I've been doing a couple of other part-time things including the children's ministry at our church and, um, and some teaching work. Okay, so what are you going to talk to us about? Something about what happened in your teaching work here. I'm, I'm going give, to give you the mic then you can. Okay, thanks. Um, so yeah, I've been working in a, a school since January. It's a very small uh, independent primary school um, and uh, my husband works there as well uh, a couple of days a week teaching music and I have been teaching one day a week um, teaching drama and uh, it's a tiny school. There were 23 students when I started um, and over the course of the two terms um, things uh, some students have left due to parents kind of uprooting their businesses and moving abroad and a, a school that size that has quite a significant effect uh, everyone's very close um, and in April we had a staff meeting and the head sat us down and she explained a little bit actually about what had been going on behind the scenes and um, a situ uh, she explained that Actually, one parent in particular um, had been very uh, abusive towards her um, and was not only refusing to pay fees that they owed, um, but was wanting to ensure that all the other parents um, held their same low regard for her um, and started to kind of drag her reputation through the mud, if you like. And um, she was very honest, very vulnerable in this meeting, and um, she she had a big ask and she had to explain to the staff that actually um, we'd reached a stage where she would have to ask us to take a reduction, either a reduction, maybe a reduction in hours or a reduction in pay. Um, and as she was explaining these things and I, she got quite emotional talking about her own children that go to the school who she'd had to, as a mother, explain to them why to their best friends had just left suddenly and had to go through those conversations with her children and we uh, knew also sh she had a terminally ill family member and her husband's work was going through challenges so we're just hearing this this stuff about just what what kind of crazy year she'd had I just had this real like quickening my heartbeat was doing the uh, I was like what is this Lord I'm not going to share a word in a staff meeting um but it's that same feeling you get um and yeah I, she she eventually you know we, we each got our letters which we would read in confidence where it would ask what was required of us and it was laid out that the school would actually have to close um should we're not able to uh, do this and um she she then offered it out to the staff to ask any questions and i just <laughs> i really felt i had to speak and i was just able to say i'm so sorry that you have gone through that that is so unfair and i could really sense the injustice of that situation um and my husband and i were able to say like we will stand with you in this um that injustice is something that gets us and her heart for education her heart for children is so good um so it wasn't until after that my husband reflected what a powerful moment that was i hadn't really thought at the time that it was um but actually i, I think it set the tone for what followed and um so when my husband and i gave our official 
response to her in, in private that actually we, we would agree to the terms in both of our letters, which meant um, a reduction in pay uh, for us as a family. Um, we were able to say, yeah, we're with you. We will stand with you in this. Um, and actually, uh, we also offered to babysit for her, just recognising what a strain that had been on the family, at which point she um, broke down in tears and just, you know, gave us a big hug. But I think she really didn't expect us to go above and beyond and look into that side of things for her. Yeah, <laughs> emotion. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. I tell you, it's really, it's been such a blessing to me, actually, in preparing for this and actually speaking to these guys. You'll, you'll hear, hear the other three. Th these are real stories. I know there's, there's a good friend of mine who talks about, he said, um, he, said he, he's, he never quite trusts, um, he, only, well, no, he only asks people to come and speak at his church who walk with a limp. And what, and what he meant was that, you know, they've been through life's knocks, Okay. And uh, particularly when we're coming on to some of the next, next bit, I'd, I'd like to say that I did all of this stuff all of the time when I was at work. Well, I'd say it's probably, I've done most of this stuff, but some of the time. And uh, I, I think it's like, it's, this is a, a reality check for us all. And uh, so, yeah, I hope that the honesty comes out. And I think there's a particular point um, that uh, Nicola talked about there, about how in her response, as someone working for Jesus, a higher point of ref reference actually set the tone for the rest of that meeting, the response of the rest of the staff in uh, that meeting. Very powerful. And we come on to a little bit more about that when we talk about Christian uh, leadership. And I'm, I'm, I'm just praying that what we talk about today starts to challenge and change our perception of work. You know, wasn't it brilliant to hear Terry Virgo last night talking about sharing something about his story and saying that you know, when God opened his eyes, he left his secular work and started to work for the church and the rest is history, I think, were the words he used. Okay? Tell what my prayer is for here today is that God opens our eyes and we stay where we are in secular work and the rest is history. Because actually both are valid and both are just as important uh, in the kingdom of God and the extension of his kingdom. Why not, when you go back to work, either this week, next week, whenever it is, sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But first thing in the morning, when you're looking yourself in the mirror, brushing your teeth, whatever you're doing, um, say, I work for Jesus. You know, my work is kingdom work. I work for Jesus. Just think of the confidence that gives you. That's your identity at work. And I know you might turn around and say, well, you know, what, what happens if the work you're doing, there's some moral issues with the work or there's some legal issues with the work. I'd say if, if, if you come across these types of things, it's good to talk to people you trust and to pray through and those sort of challenges that you get at work. It's also good to look at people like Daniel in the Old Testament and how he responded to challenges like that and still glorified God, still worked for God while he was still honouring and respecting um, his secular boss. Yeah, but uh, I pray. You remember when Jesus, Jesus said, there's, there's a saying, four more months and the harvest will come. And he said, no, open your eyes. The fields 
are there. The harvest is ready to be gathered. That's sort of, that's the sense um, of what I would like all of us to have about our work. Just open your eyes, you know. Um, the people who are doing the harvesting, you're not going to harvest much in a church. Sorry, in a church meeting. Okay, you might do because you can invite people along, that's great. But actually the harvest is out there in the workplace and that's where we should be swinging our sickle for Jesus. Okay, so does that make sense? Is that okay? Good, right. Christian leadership. I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking here about people who are sort of leaders in title in the workplace. I'm talking about our impact as Christians at work and what that can do. I'm just going to tell you a little story. You know, you sometimes hear stories, and this isn't a church story, it's one I heard at work, that sort of stick with you. And um, it was a guy called Professor Gauchel, who was a professor at INSEAD in France and at the London uh, Business School, where I was doing some sort of course at that stage. And uh, he was talking about his own personal experience um, um, of... Um, living in France, but actually his family still lived in Calcutta in India. And um, each year, for two weeks in the year, he used to go across there. And he said, don't get me wrong, he said, I love my family, but two weeks in Calcutta is enough. It's noisy, it's hot, I always get a cold and end up the last two or three days laying on the bed feeling sorry for myself. But he said, I get on the plane and I fly back to France and um, um, I, I, I get driven back to my home and he said, my home is on the edge of the forest of Fontainebleau. And it's spring. And he said, the first thing I do after dumping the cases is to go for a walk in the forest of Fontainebleau. He said, no, I don't go for a walk. I defy you to walk. You want to run and hit the leaves and the dew and the moisture sort of sprinkles over you. He said, I'm alive. It's the same person who only 24 hours before was feeling sorry for themselves on a hot bed in Calcutta. And the point he was trying to make is that we're all, as people, sort of products of our background, and it's quite hard to change people quickly through actually addressing their behaviours. But actually, change the environment, and people can be transformed overnight. And I think what Christians can do in the workplace is transform the environment of where they work. You know, we are the fragrance of Christ. That's what Paul says to those who are perishing. So what does this look like? One of the first bits, actually, one of the first key parts, um, have you all heard of servant uh, leadership as a concept? Really, it's the way that Jesus led. And when Paul talked about this in Philippians 2, he talked about us um, considering others better than yourselves, always looking out for the interests of others. Your attitude be, should be like that of Christ Jesus. And actually, there's a humility at the heart of the way we behave as Christians in the workplace, which is very powerful. And it's very powerful, actually, um, as leaders as well. And part of that, that humility, that approach of considering others better than yourselves and always looking out for the interests of others is something we probably all know well, which is Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit. And just to, to remind us, this is what he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Or to put it um, in a similar way, is to use 1 Corinthians 13, the description of love. In fact, this is what I did in the book about a dad, and it wasn't really my idea. I got it from a back bloke called um, Max Lucado, who took the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and instead of calling it love, he said Jesus. So Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. Really powerful description of what Jesus was like and his character. But let's put in Christian, and this is what it says. A Christian is patient. A Christian is kind. They don't envy. They don't boast. They're not proud. They're not rude. They're not self-seeking. They're not easily angered. They keep no record of wrongs. A Christian does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. They always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. A Christian never fails. I can think of quite a few failures that I've had as a Christian, and particularly in the workplace, but I don't think that's what Paul means. He's saying, in the same way that he says at the end of the fruit, against these things, there is no law. You know, these things don't fail. This is the way Christian character works its way out, not just amongst each other in the church context, but when we're at work. We are the fragrance of Christ. Um, Steve Petch, um, did any of you go to his um, grace-filled leadership session? Yeah, fantastic stuff, isn't it? Really good. One of my experiences with this, people might turn around and say, in today's business world, you're not going to get very far acting like that. Now, I beg to disagree, actually, because I know a lot of people who lead like that, and I find that people who lead like that their team just love coming to work because they feel cared for, they're motivated, they've got someone there who's prepared to let others grow big, big around them. Uh, not someone who takes all of the credit, but is trying to build a team, is trying to release people um, to you know, greater um, achievements and performance at work. And that comes out of the sort of servant leadership, the way that Jesus led demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit and demonstrating real love. And uh, there is a real, real connection with this. I said uh, one of the things that um, I all said is that I've just, recently, I've just recently joined the board of an insurance company as a non-executive uh, director. And I remember we were talking there about a big IT implementation that's going on. And I asked a question about some of the key people who are involved in this. And the, the, the answer was around, oh yes, well we've got good succession places, um, su su succession plans uh, in place and they're covered and all. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm worried about their pastoral side of this, their well-being. And it was really interesting, there was a lady um, to my right who was another director. And she said, she said, uh, I've been sitting around boards for 10 to 15 years and I've never heard anyone use that term before. But I love it, she said. And it really tries to express something of the culture that we're trying to build here. Okay. You know, um, there's some research recently been done um, around senior uh, leadership um, and the sort of competencies that boards are looking for in, um, 
in executives. And do you know what the number one competence is? By some way, it's ethical standards. Now, I'm not sure how much I believe that at the moment, how much people are saying what they think people want them to say, but actually there's a real drive for good, ethical, value-based leadership. There's never been a better time to be a Christian at work and start to show the way of Christ, um, the servant leadership way of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, love against these things. There are no law. There is real power in this, and why shouldn't there be? You know, how powerful was Jesus? Very powerful. Um, there's another thing that Steve said, Steve Pett said, which I think really sums this up. He said, um, you know, I've said we're working for Jesus. What Steve said is that treat other people as if they're Jesus. And he takes Matthew 25, and Jesus is teaching about, you know, I was in prison, I was sick, etc., etc., etc. The people that we're dealing with at work, treat them as if they're Jesus. Because these types of behaviors are real winning uh, behaviors. Peter tells us uh, to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. These are the types of behaviours that soften hearts and open eyes. We'll be going on to, in a minute, around making the most of every opportunity. One of the key ways that opportunities arrive in the workplace for us to give a reason for the hope that is within us is the way that we behave at work. Um, Matt, time to introduce someone else, I think. This is Matt, who I've known since he was sort of somewhere down here. Goes to our church. Uh, you've got a proud dad there. There you go. And a the mum. Probably the whole family here. They're all here. They're all spread, but not sitting with each other. And his wife and his little boy. Fantastic. Matt, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, first of all. So, um, as I said, I'm Matt. Um, my job is I'm a bank manager for Lloyds Bank. Um, I work in Farnborough, which is in Hampshire. Um, since coming out of university, that's pretty much the really the only only job I've had. I've been an, in in the banking retail banking sector. Um, so yeah, that's what I do for for work. So what's your story, Matt? What's my story? Right. So my story. So um, when Robin asked us to to think about this, um, Christian leadership kind of came up, uh, came straight to my head in in terms of kind of two bits that I, I kind of have at work kind of day in, day out, I think. Um, one, the bit that I, I, I probably love and, and find very easy in, in, in terms of coaching. So coaching um, at work and investing in people um, in a way that I've been lucky to have that invested in me as well. I think probably everyone's had a, a boss or um, a colleague who has spent time and invested in them and cared for them. And I think that shows incredible, incredible love. And I think when I think of love, I think of people who want to invest in me and, and care for me. Um, and that bit comes to life. Um, the other bit for me and, and the leadership side was, um, and it probably came up first of all, was the, the challenging bits, the, the tough conversations, the, the bits where um, the, you, know, you really are challenged a little bit. So. Um, when I when I'm thinking about um, that side of things, um, 
I, I, I lead people. So my job is to look after people and, and to, to work with people. Um, and we've, at the, at the bank, you've probably seen it maybe in your smaller towns, we've had branch closures, hours changing, um, and all these things have a knock-on effect to the colleagues and how that then affects them in their role and, and, in, and, in, their, and in their workplace. Um, and just the importance of listening, talking to them, caring about their situation and what's going on in their, their lives and how it's, it's, they're affected. Um, and then working through with them to try and get a solution that is, yes, right for the business in, and where the business is going, but also what's right for them. Um, and one example of that, so we, I had a colleague in my first, ever, my first ever branch who had kind of been moved around a few times and he was in a place where he was having to do three buses to get to work, um, getting more and more drained, more and more tired, and it, it was affecting not only him, but everyone around him. Um, and working with him and kind of understanding his situation, he didn't want to move, he didn't want to change branches because he felt that it was another kind of knock on him or a knock on his situation. Um, but kind of getting to know him, working with management and, and occupational health in this regard, um, and being able to slowly work, that he, work through that I was trying to do what was right for him, um, giving him lists home after work to try and avoid all the buses to make him realize that we could potentially get something that was a better situation for him. Um, and I think through that as well, and I would like to flag up, I think the being at the, the home part of that and praying through it. Was, so I'm lucky enough to have a wonderful wife and wonderful friends who um, were able to share that and build me up and pray about it, which I think could be really important as well in terms of getting that bit right. Um, but yeah, he's, I actually had to work with that colleague two years later, and it was nice to see him go from someone who was struggling to actually doing quite well in their role. And I think just caring for people can be a big part of that. Matt, thanks very much indeed. It's a good illustration of somewhere showing um, real Christ-like love in a work context and creating Fontainebleau in that branch in the life of that person. Um, how many of you um, have read any Rob Parsons books? Have read any Rob Parsons books? Yeah, there are fantastic books. Um, I'm, I'm going to just put a little ad in here at the moment. There's a book called The Heart of Success that he's written. And um, uh, it's a book that touches on a lot of what we're talking about today. There's quite a bit about there uh, in there about about balance, but it's about he says it's about being successful in business without losing in life. And um, I've I've had Rob Parsons actually come and speak three times in my career to my um, um, to, to some of my teams. One was to a sort of top performing sales conference. Uh, another one was for my um, my division in um, LV, and um, he, 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 he said to me, I remember he was saying to me, he said, always leave half an hour after my talks. And um, so he, he would talk about stuff, and I'll le let you see what it is by reading the book, and it's in the bookstore. Um, but actually, the impact on people, there were people in tears, grown men in tears, people having to go for a walk. Um, we gave everyone a copy of that book, um, you know, this is, this is a Christian man, but it's a book written by a Christian. This isn't a Christian book, it's a book written by, um, by a Christian. It's just wonderful walking around the office over the coming weeks, seeing this book, not just on a shelf, but actually on the desk, and people reading this book and starting to make an impact 
in their lives. And um, some of these people, you know, there are lots of examples in there, like the sort of example that Matt gave, um, of how that we can create this wonderful Christ-like environment for people to work in and to flourish in. And believe you me, teams who work in an environment like that, do they perform? There's a good commercial edge to this as well. And I'm not embarrassed uh, to say that. It works. And one of the things that Matt was showing there was something else. Um, it's, a, it's a word called kindness. People think that kindness is a soft thing. Kindness is about looking out for the needs of others. Sometimes you've got to be tough um, and make tough, tough decisions and to treat people in a straightforward way. But you do that with gentleness and respect. And uh, you know, there are ways of doing this. There are different ways of addressing underperformance. Matt, I don't want to embarrass him too, Matt, so was showing that a Christ-like way of addressing underperformance and helping someone go into a new place, a new environment, where they were able to perform, keep their job, provide for their family, etc. Okay, just a, one simple last thing about set, setting the environment. But when I went in as the National Sales Director in Lloyds Bank, um, one of the first things I did, and I always do, was to take out a bunch of photo frames and put them on the desk with Anna and, uh, and the children. Now I'd need a whole shelf with all the crowds on them. But uh, uh, I remember there's the guy in my um, number two came in to see me about four weeks later. He said, do you, do you notice something's changed out in the um, office? And I said, what? I was thinking, what have they done? Have they reorganised the desks or something? Or he said, no. He said, um, everyone started to bring pictures of their family in and put it on their desks. And I said, oh. And he said, and that's because you did that on your first day. And people now know that this is okay, and um, you, you you think this is this is important to you, so it can be important to them as well. It's very simple things that can make a real difference. So, making the most of every opportunity. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. This is Paul speaking again in Colossians. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. My experience in the work context, and some of you might have different experiences, but the opportunities to actually speak about Jesus can be quite few and far, um, far between. And, um, and being ready for them and to make the most of every opportunity um, isn't always an easy thing to do. I think it's important to expand what an opportunity is and what that means, and we'll come to that in a minute. But first of all, just two things where I think where we can really increase the number of opportunities, or at the very least, open our eyes to the opportunities which are already there. The first one, obvious, I guess, but it's prayer. And it's prayer. It's good prayer, isn't it? Open a door to share the gospel. Do you know, I heard about a church uh, the other day. Uh, you, you, you know, um, in church, you tend to have people up the front to pray for them, um, you know, perhaps because they're going overseas or... Um, uh, you know, perhaps they're going as part of a church plant 
or those types of things. This church used to get people up the front to pray for them when they started a new job. It's good, isn't it? It's a good thing. So uh, I think it's just good. It's another part of this thing. Let's, let's be broad in the way we think about things. Because, you know, if, if we really pray... <laughs> this is good. <laughs> you, you didn't know you were going to get a dancing in. <laughs> but there we go. Um, so prayer. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but it's a vital part of work life, um, is prayer. Is this... Put, Putting you off, you can still still hear. You okay? Good. Keep going. Okay. The second thing is this whole thing about um, the way we live as Christians in the workplace. And um, Christian leadership and the impact of Christian leadership demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit and love, that will give us plenty of opportunities. And um, there's something. I'm just going to make an observation here. You know, Peter... (laughs) It's good. Um, Peter, you know what Peter was like? The fisherman, the big bluff um, fisherman. And um, quite abrupt, okay, Um, called a spade a spade. When he wrote uh, in his first letter, 1 Peter, this is how he talked. He said, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And this thing about aliens and strangers, I don't know what that means to you. I think very often um, you hear people talking about, well, you know, we're not of this world. You know, we're visitors here. You know, we're going to go. Our real home is in heaven. And all that is true. But I think what Paul was trying to get across here was something, not Paul, Peter, was something quite different. And the best way for me to explain it is that one of the things, I, I go abroad a fair bit on um, holidays and things. And um, one of the... One of the things that I often find is that I get quite embarrassed about being English. And the reason I get embarrassed is because the behaviour of English people. You know, like someone in, in the restaurant, first of all, decides to ask, tomato ketchup. Okay, not even a please, tomato ketchup. And when the waiter sort of looks and doesn't really know what they mean, what they do then is to say, tomato ketchup. So in a louder voice. And then finally they get up and even go into the kitchen to try and find their tomato ketchup. Now this sort of behaviour is just plain rude, isn't it? You know, we are guests in their country. We need to respect their customs and the way that they do things and work with them. And that's what Paul did. You see that all the way through Acts and how he engaged with his culture. So... Sometimes Christians get a bit of a bad name at work because we can sometimes come across as quite judgmental, um, arrogant and rude. Um, If someone doesn't agree with us, we just say the same thing again, either differently or, uh, or louder. And actually, what Paul said and what Peter said, this is how we should do it. He said, always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And Paul says um, that our 
conversations should always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And I think it's the way that we engage with people in the workplace, in the way we share the gospel, um, we do this with grace, seasons with salt, gentleness and respect. This is the way that we work as Christians. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is love. <laughs> I only give Namdi the challenge now of trying to... It's going to end in two, two minutes. It's going to, shall I... I'll tell you what I'm, doing. I'm going to get you to stand down because I'll, I'll do this for two, two minutes because I think for you to try and cope over this is a bit unfair. Can't you say, um, just an example um, of this, people actually see this behaviour and it opens doors. And I, I, see, I remember going to a meeting, must have been about four or five years ago, and there was a um, young senior manager in this me- meeting. It was a very tough meeting, all sorts of different conversations going on, um, some quite big arguments, quite sharp comments. And when, ev- when everyone left, I, I was left there with, uh, with Cheryl. And she turned to me and she said, um, she said, um, what is it about you? You always seem to be so calm and so at peace in these meetings. You don't get pulled into the mud slinging, but you make respectful comments and constructive comments. I'd like to say that I said, well, it's because I work for Jesus. I actually mumbled on about something about experience. and uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it just shows. But you, 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 some of the impact you have, actually, you sometimes don't realize it. When someone verbalizes like that, just be ready to take that as an opportunity. Here's um, Namdi. He's a lot better at taking opportunities than I am, as you'll see from this uh, <laughs> story. Just tell us a little bit about yourself first. Uh, my name is Namdi. I'm married with three children. I currently work for an organization which is a research and advisory firm. And my role within that firm is to look after some of our really large clients. So, so to sell our services, to make sure we're aware of their strategies, and to marry the two. That's me. That's you. So what's your story? Yeah, thank you, Robin. Um, my story actually isn't from the firm that I'm working with now. It's from a firm I used to work with because I've just recently joined this company. And I used to work within financial services, um, specifically with investment banks. And my organization is a, was a consulting firm or is a consulting firm that sold into those, uh, into those investment banks. And so my role was to look after those, a select number of those banks, making sure that we can deliver what it was was uh, trading and risk management software into those banks and grow a revenue figure and own that figure. So it was quite a pressurized job. But actually, when I became a Christian a few, well, 17 years ago, uh, I became a Christian and I had that emotional response to Christ. And then it took so many years for me to connect the dots in my head. So when in the Old Testament, it talks about God owning the world and everything in it. And then Paul saying that you should, as Robin said, that you should work as if you're working for Christ. It took a while before I could join the dots between the two. Uh, eventually I did. Maybe I'm just slow. But anyway, I, just, I joined the dots between the two and eventually it released me. So when I joined this firm called RiskCare, which serviced investment banks in a pressurized environment, I always felt that actually um, God will give me the resources to get through it. But it also meant that if anyone asked me about my faith, I didn't feel 
under pressure not to talk about it. So I joined this firm, and as it happened, this firm was a Christian firm. I didn't plan it. I didn't, it wasn't my intention to join a Christian firm. I just happened to join a Christian firm. But one of the things about that Christian firm was that it had a plethora of religions, and including people that didn't have um, faith, or they called themselves atheists, so they believed in nothing. And um, anyway, what, when, once they found out that I was a Christian, it meant, well, actually, I was fair game. So that meant that people could scrutinize me, could ask me, you know, what do you think about this, could hold me to a higher moral standard. And, and that's simply because I was a Christian. And what, what that meant was that other Christians within the firm withdrew, so they didn't want to talk about their faith. But I'd connected the dots. The world belongs to God and everything in it. And so what I, what I, what I committed to myself there is then if anyone asks me a question that allowed me to bring up my faith, I'll bring it up. So the typical question, what do you do during the weekend? Well, went out for a meal, saw the parents, and on Sunday, we went to church. And so people ask you, well, why church? And so that's an opportunity to talk. But actually, one of the things that was really good about my time in risk is that I had, I had senior management who were uh, believers and one of them actually released me and asked me, said, look, I want you to build up the prayer meeting in this, in this organization. So I did. And he also introduced me to um, a workplace fellowship. And I joined that and became a, a, one of the leaders helping them, well, I suppose, do a Bible study and stuff like that. So that was also really very good. But there was one particular guy who was the most, was the most senior in the organization. He was a CEO. And he was an enigma because... Although he was a Christian, he said to me, look, Namdi, I always invited him for the prayer meetings. I always invited him to come to the workplace fellowship, which was called Morgate Talks. But he would always refuse. And his reason was this. He said, yes, I'm a Christian, but I want to keep my Christian life separate from my work life because the two are not connected. And it always bugged me. And even though I didn't feel personally responsible for him, I think something within me did feel responsible. And it never, ever worked out. He never came to any prayer meeting. He never came to the, the workplace fellowship. And then circumstances made it such that I left the organization. But I kept, I've kept in touch. His name is Steve. So I sent Steve a, a text message. I said, look, why don't we get together sometime? And he said, yeah, that would be great. And he said, look, I'd, in, his, in his text message, he said, I'd like to say something. He said, ever since you've left, I've noticed actually, well, not ever since you left, but we're since, since you've left, I've noticed that people are being kinder to each other. People are being more considerate to each other. And I think that's because of you, because of your influence. And he said, that's a great legacy. And so to a certain extent, I thought I'd failed this guy. And maybe I had. But I think somehow within that, something of Christ still came through. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Actually, I hope the message is coming through here that actually this isn't necessarily hard. Um, this is about being yourself in Christ at work because you're working for Jesus. Um, you might get an opportunity to actually share the gospel in words. And I'd really encourage you, as um, you know, we're encouraged to in the word, um, to always have a reason for the hope you have within you. And it's good to spend some time trying to sort of perhaps write down and uh, be clear as to what your story is because that's always a useful thing that you can use. But actually, a lot of the time, it's just about how we, how we behave. Um, what was the other day? Guy was talking about bless, bless, bless. Yeah? 
let's just think about how we can bless the people we work with. You know, is it bringing them a cup of coffee? Is it going to buy them a cake if they've, if, after they've had a, a bad day? I must have had a lot of bad days. But, uh, <laughs> okay, but it's, it's just these things, and it's actually in, in meetings, it's actually listening to the people, it's respecting what they say. Um, there's, you know, there's a whole range here of Christ-like uh, behaviours, and as you live those things, they in themselves are opportunities. They're opportunities to um, pr present, to bring the fragrance of Christ. The being full of the Spirit means being filled with God's love, gentle, respectful, and gracious. And against these things, there's no law. Last week, that's been about this time, a little bit later on in the evening, I went and had a cup of coffee with Meg. I'd like to introduce Meg to you and just share... Um, well, first of all, Meg, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, um, I'm Meg. Um, I'm also Margaret, so you can call me either of those. I'm married to Victor. We live in Woking. We go to the Coin Church, and we have two children, five and 18 months old. Uh, I work part-time for the Guildford College Group as an apprenticeship coordinator. Um, I also recently started doing some freelance work as a psychometrician, so I administer um, those personality or ability tests that help people make career decisions or, you know, just personal life decisions. So that's, yeah. Okay, now, this actually, the, this story actually changed little bit of what I was going to say as a result of uh, what she shared so just listen to this just just share a little bit of what you we talked talked about yeah so the story I want to share today is just uh, my journey from about so I came to the uh, to the UK seven years ago and that's when I married Victor who already worked here and I was very blessed to kind of move from my job from Kenya and and I carried on for a couple of years in that same job here in the UK uh, and I had my first child five years ago uh, and that was really wonderful <laughs> but as soon as, as, as I had my son and there I started to ask myself this question so what's gonna happen uh, you know after six months I had to decide um, and these are questions that I believed many women I believe many women sitting here today have asked themselves or will ask themselves uh, but it just happened that I never thought I would it, it would, there would be questions I would ask myself, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So it was the question of, so now I've had, I've had a child, I'm a mother, do I go back to work or do I stay home and, and, and raise my children? How does that work? Can I afford childcare? I don't have family here. My family lives 8,000 miles away from, from, from here. And it's all these questions uh, that I'm sure most people had asked themselves, but you know, I never ever thought. And the reason I never thought I'd ask myself these questions was because where I grew up, when a woman has a child, it doesn't affect their career. And that's in, in very many cases, it, it doesn't have to because childcare is cheap and readily available and family is often there to help. So as I, as I went through this, this struggle, or what do I do with my life now? What does this mean for me? I found myself being very lonely because 
my family, who I could have called and, and talked to about what this was very important to me, they couldn't understand why this was even a problem. What are you talking about? People have children all the time. Like, really, get up and go to work. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. It doesn't work like that here. And yet, I also, because I hadn't lived here long enough, I didn't know many women here that were kind of in like for like careers that I could ask, you know, what, what did you do? I, I did ask some people, but I just, I just didn't have that person that I could talk to that could tell me what to do. I just wanted someone to tell me what to do. And I just didn't find that person. And I, I, I was really lonely and, and very confused for a very long time. And obviously I prayed about it a lot. We consulted with my husband and, and God was there for us, and, and a lot of Google research. Google was helpful. <laughs> and, and so we then came to a conclusion that I would go back to work part-time. So I went back to work for two and a half days a week, uh, but that meant that my employer moved me to a different role that would kind of work with that two and a half days a week. It was a blessing, and, and I was really grateful for it. Um, but things kind of changed in a way that I never expected them to change. I then found myself being at work and just work was something I was kind of hanging in there. I just had this feeling that I was, I was hanging in there. I was no longer passionate. I no longer wanted to do something or to, to, to yeah, just the passion for my career was, wasn't there. And part of it was because I was a mother, I had a new role. But then I would later realize that there was even a bigger problem during this time, I think I had bought into this thinking that as a mother, that if I wanted to be a godly mother, then it was evil, it was ungodly to have career ambitions, to want to advance my career, to want to progress. That was such an ungodly thing. And I found myself spending a lot of time praying for God to take away career desires and, and anything that would want me advancing in my career. Anytime I started thinking, oh, maybe I should do this, or maybe this is where I go from here, I desperately prayed to God, please kill these dreams, these evil dreams must leave me, Jesus. And, and so for years, uh, this was me trapped in this, Lord, kill my dreams. Like, I really, really do not want this. And I started praying desperately so that God could give me an opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, partly because I thought that was the godly thing to do and really believed that that's what God wanted me to do. So I said, provide for us as a family so I haven't got to work, so I can't be with my children. And in some ways he did because I have carried on working part-time. And then I had my second child about 18 months ago. And I had sense that God was taking me to a new place, but I wasn't quite sure what that was all about. And I just kept praying even harder for God to help me become a stay-at-home mom. Um, but after, I've had, after I had my daughter, God then, you know, for, for a long time, I felt that God was silent. He wasn't telling me anything about my career or what to do with it. And I was really frustrated. Uh, but then, then God started to speak to me. Uh, after I had my daughter. So I had two children, even the more reason why I shouldn't want to do anything. Uh, and he's, I felt that God was telling me, okay, up you go, power up your career now. And I was like, I have two kids, okay? You know, it, it's not going to work. My family is still far away. I, I'm still hanging in there, you know. I'm, I, my intention is to put this thing down. And anyway, to cut the long story short, <laughs> Uh, this is what I've, I've had to, I felt that God is taking me through a new path and, and I'm going back for higher education. I'm starting a master's degree this September. 
I'm undergoing a career change at this point in my life, which I never thought should happen or was going to happen. But I feel that God is in this with me for some reason. And it's amazing how many women God has brought in my way since I started having this this change of mind, who are going through this same dilemma, what do I do with my life? And, and the simple conversations that I've had with these women that have helped them to make the decisions that they need to make for their lives to move on and how that has been just, how that has brought a sense of freedom in their lives. And, and that's where I am at the moment. Right. I think this is a real challenge, actually, for the church um, at the moment. Um, it, it Maybe when I was talking to Meg, I started to think about Ashley, because it's sort of perceived wisdom and has been for years and years that uh, a mother's place is at home with uh, young children, and young children are very, very important. Um, but actually, I think there's probably uh, more cultural reasons which make that relevant uh, in the UK rather than biblical uh, reasons reasons and the culture is changing and it's not just um, mums going out to work and ladies going out to work in that way it's the type of time commitments uh, that both women and men have and um, how do you balance that with all the demands you know people in the workplace secular people talk a load about this when I coach people um, that the, the balance between work and home is very very important to them and they don't have church <laughs> all that stuff chucked in as well okay so i'm just going to share one thing about work-life balance which will hopefully help you just to think this through you know when you talk about um balance you normally think about scales you know how we balance between these two things and don't let things get out of balance i think the problem with that um metaphor for balance is that you're always looking at either end you're always looking at the things you're trying to balance a far more helpful metaphor for me is the, is the uh, balance that you find in a wheel. And there, the whole focus is actually on what's in the center. And who's in the center? This is what Meg found. You know, she was trying to find what's God's will for me? What does God want for me? And it's what God wants, which is at the center. And it's what God wants for your life that should start to drive all the various other bits, all the spokes that you fit around there, which could be work, could be home, could be the church, could, could be community. In fact, it's all church, isn't it? Because we made that point earlier on. Uh, everything we do is part of the church, part of growing uh, at the kingdom. It's going to be different for different people. And I think um, as a church, church community, we've really got to start to help each other with these things. Uh, positively praying with each other, seeking God's will. What is the right balance? What is the right mix within our lives? And people who are really busy at work, let's not nag them about getting along to church meetings, but let's find how we can better serve them in their work, uh, their kingdom work, working for Jesus out in the workplace. Yeah, does, that, does that make sense? It's um, probably sort of preaching to the, com to the converted here. But... Um, Balance is really, really important, and it can be very different for each of us, but it's helping each other, prayerfully supporting each other to find that balance and what works. What works because there'll be a balance there um, between the family, work, 
all these other rare er, areas. So it allows our lives to go on, hopefully, as much of an even keel as we can, serving God and uh, doing his work. Okay. We're just before 5.15. Um, do you want to have time for questions? Have people got questions? This is normally where people make an exit. Oh, it's questions. We can go go now. Have we got any questions? We have got questions. So, guys, if you could, if you'd like to just... Your question, yeah. Okay, thank you. Did you get that? It's, uh, um, it's around this whole thing about where, where is there a line where we start to talk about things, for example, like um, healing, can I pray for you, um, uh, when sharing um, about Jesus at work. Anyone got any thoughts, any particular thoughts? Um, actually, uh, I, I had a situation, a similar situation. I'm trying to see the lady that asked the question. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I had a similar situation, actually. Um, I had, uh, I, I worked in a previous company with a guy who um, lost, we both lost our jobs. We were both made redundant. But he'd had a hard time finding another job, and I'd, I was in employment. Um, but the thing is, we had developed a relationship. We'd become friends. And so at this point, I knew he didn't believe, but I said to him, hey, listen, Rick, can I pray for you? And it was the most awkward thing. <laughs> it was just awkward, but because he knew I was coming from a point of friendship, I, he kind of trusted that, well, you might believe, let's do it, let's pray. And so we did, I, we prayed together. Yeah, we were chatting about this actually in, in prep for this, and I was thinking about um, when I do kids' parties, I go and I meet a family at the house or a hall for an hour or so. Um, and my end game, I, I'm not thinking, oh, maybe I can bring this person to salvation. That In the workplace, that would be me being really active. But there's always that thing in the back of our heads, I think. I don't know if you relate to that. Um, and it was quite releasing just to think, you know what, um, if you let go of that being the final you know the goal um actually for me when i go and do a party my my heart is always to just at the end just to spend a moment and just commend those parents for something about their child that i've noticed that i think oh and just be able to say oh you're doing so well um and i think i've found that really releasing to think that can be as powerful on that person's journey uh, as as something else i'm not saying uh, therefore don't pursue opportunities when they're there um, and I don't know all the, legally all the boundaries and things for your particular workplace um, but I think there's something quite releasing in 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 saying okay well if I'm not the person to bring them to salvation what what are the other things along this journey what what can I add what would be a bonus um as well I don't know if that's yeah it's really helpful does that does, does that help I think is I think this whole thing about um respect is really important you know, we're working for Jesus, but we're aliens in a foreign country. And so we have to respect the boundaries that, that are in place. I think praying for people definitely in relationship makes it a lot more effective and easy. Sometimes an opportunity might come actually where it's not in, in relationship, but it's, um, it's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you at the time, but actually respecting you know what the uh what the culture is of that particular workplace because there are other ways of do of doing it as uh, as Nicholas shared but thanks for the questions great quest question thank you 
Okay, do you all get that about um, if you have if if, you, if there's an act of kindness that you're doing and it's the one pers- person and the impact on the other people and perhaps them seeing it as you favouring that person, sucking up to that person, uh, partic- particularly if it's the boss. And um, any thoughts on that one? Apart from buy more one. <laughs> yeah, Lamb again. Yeah. Um, actually, the the question that came to my mind just. Until Robin said it, I was going to ask you, who do you, is it just the one person you keep on taking the cake to? <laughs> I think, I think the, the for me it it was that CEO I mentioned, that Steve. He he used to say to me, listen, you know this. Is, it was a pressurized environment. He said, you know, you don't, you don't, you shouldn't really be that nice to people. You know, you should practice how not to be nice to people in the workplace and see what reaction you get back. You know, don't give people too much time. And I didn't do that. I didn't take his instructions. And and I got a lot of stress from him. But the result was when I left and I sent him a text message. He tells me how things have changed, and I think he sees it as a positive. I couldn't control how he behaved. I suppose I could control how. I behaved, and that's all that was important at the time, as long as it it fell in line with what I believe the Bible tells us to do. The, the, the other thing I would say would be, um, for me, when kindness is really working is when it's other people doing it to each other, and you can, I think you can instigate you being kind to someone and then someone else being kind to someone else and the cultural part of it starting to play through um, wider than always having to be you. I think it's great if you want to be the person who's always saying thank you to people and I think thank you can be as as kind as as giving something. Um, But when the culture changes and people start wanting to thank off the back of you doing something or you can, if you can encourage that, someone to go and thank for something you've seen happen, I think that can have as bigger impact as your personal bit that's the one bit i'd say yeah yeah just very quickly on that so i would say um we're called to bring something of the the culture of the kingdom where we are in a workplace um now sometimes it's an act of kindness that we're showing and and sometimes that grace because it comes against the the culture that's already there but we're called to change that culture and the way i'd look at it is uh, say it was say it wasn't an act of kindness say it was integrity so something's happening in the workplace that's wrong that's clearly wrong would, what would your answer be then? You know, everybody, well, everybody fudges that number. Come on, fudge the number. You're making us all look bad. You wouldn't, not, you wouldn't fudge the number, right? You'd say, no, integrity, this is right, this is clearly wrong. I'd say the same with an act of kindness. You know, if it's something of kingdom culture, if you're being even-handed and you're not showing favoritism, I think be who you are in a workplace. We're, we're called to be different. And, and then you hear these stories of actually workplaces being changed, the culture being changed in that workplace. Helpful. Good. Anything else? Any other questions? So, yeah, one here. Yeah. Yeah, you can do. Yeah. Yeah, my question was just around where experience where you've been asked to develop people who have a goal to achieve something, and yet quite clearly they perhaps don't have the skills or you believe they can reach that goal. And just in terms of managing that and kind of, kind of wanting the best for them, but actually there's some really tough, tough things there about reality and, and perhaps where they are. <laughs> Who wants to have a go at that one? <laughs> God, I see Earl's right hand. Oh, okay. So, no, you go for it. You go, please, for it. you go, you go. Okay. Um, 
so so I think I think the question is you, you're being asked to develop somebody and you you just don't think they've quite got that in them to I think the words um, and and John and I are actually in the same church so that culture where we have authenticity I think the most important thing and, and the way to honor somebody is to be honest with them is is not to take them on a journey ultimately that they're not suited for and they're, they're going to they're gonna fall trying to achieve and I've had a number of these conversations before and I what I like to do uh, with my staff uh, famed for it we go for a walk come on let's go for a walk and so, so sometimes they know they've got one on one with me they'll be wearing sensible shoes because we're going to go for a walk and a chat and a, um, but, but just being very very honest they, kn- they always know they're going to get honesty with me it's not always going to be easy for them to hear but I, I think that the more you do it the more they understand that actually you have their best interests at heart and and actually if this isn't right for you let's find the thing that is right for you it's not that you're not right for this what we're going to move yourself no they're, they're, you know you have worth uh, valuing the worth in that person it may not be this might not be right you know uh, uh, role for you but let's find the thing that is but that that word of authentic being authentic with people i think is so important i'm smiling a little bit because i've i've just been asked in my role to do academies for for um advisors in our in our group um and that came up in terms of how certain people who want to go into management roles but actually the are they the right is that the right role for them to go into and how to be authentic in actually trying to maybe shift their focus a little bit um i think we've kind of tried to encourage the that's their line manager and through it to be honest first of all and then they want to change so to try and understand what they're looking to change what and, and trying to understand the skills they want to develop and then the way that we're going on it is to try and focus on improving those the skills the individual skills to the person um for them to then maybe look at a wider lens or something along those lines but it yeah it's a challenge because they've decided that's where they want to go so yeah it can be difficult Uh, I think it's also related to a self-awareness issue. So when someone wants to go for something that they're ill-suited for, it tells something of their self-awareness. And there's so many ways, probably in your company or where you work, where you can help people go on that journey of self-awareness. Once they see themselves for what they are and what their strengths are, they will probably just put that down and try to pursue something that they'll be like, oh, I'm really better at that. If you really show them their strengths, they're, they're, they're very likely to just try and go for what they really are well-suited for done. So start from making them self-aware so they can see themselves for, for what they already have. Just saying, actually, uh, the Bible is full of really good um, management development stuff. And, uh, you know, this, you know what, what you're you're describing there to me this often happens you know using the metaphor of the body everyone wants to be the head or everyone wants to be the eyes or everyone wants to be okay you know we've all got parts to play and um the whole thing about dealing people with honesty integrity or being uh, authentic in your com- com- conversations to help them to find actually what's what's the part for them which actually works well with their strengths because we all tend to be a lot happier when we're working within our strengths and the value that that has to the org, the organisation in which you work. A lot of those principles, church-type principles, actually work very well in the workplace. Uh, it's a number of management theories and management uh, development theor- theories are here, and I think can hear Jesus in that. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised because 
after all we are created by God in his own image look we've come to the end of our time um I hope it's been helpful I just want to say a really big thank you to these guys um And I just want to close with um, the words of Jesus when he stood up and said, um, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you take a lamp and put it underneath a bowl, but you put it on a lampstand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, shine your light before men so that they will see the glory of God and praise your Father in heaven. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be working for you in the workplace. Thank you that you have this wonderful kingdom plan uh, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And thank you that <laughs> perhaps there's nowhere more that we're a city on a hill than when we're at work. And Father, I pray for everyone here and for me as well that you continue to open our eyes to the big picture, your big vision, your heart for the world and how by working for you in our workplace that is helping to build that wonderful kingdom so that many become reconciled to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks very much for coming. Let you go and get your tea, etc., etc. Thank you.